encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 1 is where we are today. Ephesians chapter 1. The message today is a part of a series called You Asked For It, which we asked you questions, and one of the questions that came back was the question, who am I in Christ? And it didn't come out exactly that way, but it's my identity. Who do I think I really am? And and it's the question that really Goliath asked David when David went up to him and said, how dare you defy the armies of the Lord and the Lord himself? Remember that story, David and Goliath? And what did Goliath say? Who do you think you are? And, and David's response doesn't matter who I am. It matters who God is, really. And so there's this whole identity issue. It goes back all through Old Testament pages, and it's even in our generation today. It's the identity of who we are and particularly who we are as Christians in Christ. It's not unusual for us to go through that kind of question. For instance, you might ask the question, I don't feel like a Christian today, or I felt like a Christian last week, I don't feel as close to Christ today, or I feel like a Christian only in certain settings and not in others, or I feel pretty alone, and what am I doing that makes me feel different than other Christians? Am I really in Christ? Or is this just a feeling? And that's another whole study, the difference between fact and feeling. Have you ever been going up a road only to find out you're actually going down a road? You know, it, the feelings can be disorienting, can't they? Have you ever been in an airplane you think is ascending when it's descending? And uh, I was recently in the mountains, and I felt like we were going to down. And he said, no, we're really going up. It's playing a trick on you. I said, how do you know? He said, because the up lanes are always too wide, <laughs> so you can get around. The down lanes are always one, like, woo, you know, one lane versus two. It's, it can be deceptive, can't it? Fact and feeling. This is a little more than that. This deals with the whole identity of who I really am. <clears throat> now, in our day and age, it, this could happen to you, could happen to me. It does happen to us all the time. And there are moments it makes the evening news. It's called identity theft, right? You've heard of this. You, uh, someone steals your wallet, causes you pain. Steals your purse, causes you pain, not just for the day or the week, but maybe over the next year. Causes you pain because your identity is gone, now you have to get it back, and you have to preserve it. That could happen with the stealing of a wallet or a purse, but it could also happen in cyber stealing, too. You're, they're stolen, and you don't even know it. It's, it's happening, and you don't even realize it. There could be other aliases. That's stolen identity. Happens a lot, particularly with the um, development of the computer age, just as the wave of the future. So you have to protect yourself so you know who you are and whose you are. In fact, that's not a phrase, bad phrase to write down. Uh, it, it, my identity, it doesn't matter who I am. What matters is whose I am. When you are in Christ and Christ has you, that's enough. You'll find out more of your identity just as we read the scriptures. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and what we're going to learn is this, is that our identity in Christ will affect then the way you think about yourself, the way you think about other people, the way you relate, the way you do business, because you know who you are, because you know whose you are. The problem with it is, is we've been sold a bill of lies that are close to the truth, but a little bit off, just a little bit skewed. And, um, and what, what Satan does is he takes something that's good and he twists it just a little and makes it obsessive or compulsive or whatever, and he makes it an idol unto himself, okay? I'm going to give you I-D-O-L-S, idols, and uh, it's the whole idea of, of 
of a kind of a stolen identity. If you find your identity in your items, that's the first one, the stuff of your life, what you own, what you possess, that will be the measure of who you are. And unfortunately, when your stuff comes and goes, so does your identity, so does your self-worth. When we judge other people's resume just by the cars, the houses, the clothes, the jewelry, then uh, that's, you know, that's okay, but that only gets it to a certain level, and it's not near enough of a level. And, um, and, and a person could be without all those things. In fact, I've met more than one millionaire who buys off of the used clothing rack, drives a used car. And I ask him, why do you do that? He says, keeps people from asking me for money. <laughs> He's not as dumb as I, you know, people think he might be. He, he, aver- he just dresses a little below average. Why? It kind of fly in under the radar. And he's not consumed by the items of life. Consumerism is becoming, fast becoming, the religion of America. And the worship centers are the malls, not to strike against capitalism or malls or consuming. It's just, when that becomes the driver to your life, that becomes an idol. Number two is the letter D. It's the duties. It's the activity. It's the fact that you say, I get these things done. And, that's, and it should be an outgrowth of our worship, but when society is moving ever faster, and th- then our duties, what we do, then becomes our identity. A good work ethic is good, but when a good work ethic becomes an idol, then it's competitive, it's unhealthy, and you have to stop that. That's why in the Old Testament, God said every week you take a day off. Just stop running hard. You know? And I say to some people, you need to get a job so once you have a job, then you can take a day off. You know, that's okay too. It's okay to work hard, and it's okay to take a day off. Both of those are, are given by the scriptures. And, and God designed us that way. But I know this, and you know this too. If you don't do much in a day, you don't sleep as well at night, do you? If, if you don't run yourself out, and in fact, that's one of the problems... When a person's unemployed, I'll tell them you need to exercise and make your job looking for a job. Just make that your job. And if nothing else, you'll stay busy. It'll keep your spirit up. Plus, it'll wear you out physically. You'll sleep better. You'll have a better mood tomorrow. You know, God's word knows what it's talking about when it says, take a day off. Decompress from the competitive spirit because if all of our life is about all the stuff we do, then we somehow lose compassion we somehow lose cooperation i you know this hit me years ago a a young gentleman um you know you know how you meet someone you just go oh what's your name good to meet you so what do you do for a living wrong question it it sank his you know self-worth at the moment he said well i used to do this but i'm unemployed and then he went on to say and furthermore i don't appreciate you asking me what do you do for a living well i there's a little button for him sorry well, then don't ask me what I do, but, but he did that to me. But I didn't say to him, well, don't ask me what I do, because you know, legally or illegally, what do I do? Yeah, well, legally, on the up and up, you know. Some of you will get that, and others of you just went right by, yeah. But here's the problem with that. It, it, I had placed my value on that guy by what he did. And the day you lose your job, the day you retire, if your identity is wrapped in what you do, the day you retire, you lose your identity. That's the problem with that. 
see? And that young man was helping me see that there is more to him than just his job. Okay, it's the items, it's the duties. Thirdly, it's the letter O, it's others. When you live to please other people, and we don't want to live in isolation for sure, you want to live with a real sense that, that you're in community with people, and you live in community, and you, you encourage each other in the faith with other people, but when you live to please them, and your little circle becomes what defines you, then you don't appreciate what's outside your circle, you don't appreciate anything that's different than you, you just don't. And when that happens, life gets tougher because you, you don't know how to get outside that circle. So you cannot live to please others. That'll become an idol to you. And furthermore, it's the longings. It's the hopes. It's the dreams. You want hopes and dreams. But if that becomes your idol, again, your expectations in life will even form... Here's kind of the line. We like God so much... We formed one, a God of our own, into our own liking. In other words, we, we formed God into our own image of what we like. So we say, well, I have this longing. God must be in that because it's a longing of mine. God said, no, I never put longings in you that were ungodly. Those are of your own. When you follow my desires, the Lord says, then you'll find true, lasting longings that really make sense and matter for eternity. But when your longings, the very hopes, the very dreams, if those become warped somehow, that becomes an idol. It becomes not just a dream, but it becomes the compulsion of life. And you don't want that to happen, and nor do you want to be defined by your sufferings either. Some people, when you walk up to them, they immediately identify by the biggest issue of their life. And by doing that, what it does is it defines them, puts them in a box. And, and if it's suffering, it's, if it's what happened to you somewhere in the past, then you're stuck there. That's the problem. I went to, went to a series of, of meetings with a guy who had, he and his wife had adopted four children. Partway into the adoption, all of it fell apart. All of it. They lost... Uh, it was a sibling grouping. They lost the children. And, but on top of that, these, these people had sold their home and bought a new home and decked it for the kids. They had no children, went from zero children to four. And within six months, it all melted, fell away. So I was doing what I thought was caring by asking, how are you doing? How's your wife doing? And what do you want to talk about, basically? You know what he told me? He said, I want to talk about anything except the loss of the kids. And you know why? Because it was becoming the defining moment of his life. and It became what defined him as a guy. And his life was more than that before and would be, he'd have a bunch of life after that. This was one chapter. And what was happening is good, caring people were keeping him stuck at that suffering spot. And it isn't that he didn't want to deal with it, but he didn't want that to be what controlled his entire decision-making process the rest of life. It was probably a smart move. So we went on to talk about other things, and, and he's done well. But don't allow the suffering to really define your life, because you are more than that. And if you don't, it'll, you'll get stuck there. It'll become the idol of your life. Happens with cancer survivors, happens with people who've lost jobs and regained them, people who've gone into office and out of office, and, 
and you know what? It's only normal and natural for those of us who care. We want to think through And this only happens to good people. We want to naturally care for them. But Satan will use it like a god, a false god on our lives. If we can get that thing back, then we could win and we'd be happily ever after. And, that, and Satan uses that as a tool against you. And so you have to dethrone what Satan wants to do and put in place your true identity. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your items, your desires, your place in life, other people, all regardless of all that. And Ephesians really gives to us a bunch of identity markers. I want to give to you seven of them this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's walk our way through just the first half dozen seven verses. And it asks the question, who am I as a Christian? Number one, I am a saint. I am a saint. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Stop there. Paul, who's the writer, he's an apostle for Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he's writing according to the will of God. He says, to God's holy people. Those are saints. In other translations say, to the saints in Ephesus. You realize the day you came to Christ, you became a saint. Um, Sometimes we skip through these opening lines. I don't know about you, but you want to read through that opening, you know, greeting, hello, how are you? Matthew chapter 1, everybody skips through that because of all the names we can't pronounce, you know. So we just generally do that early on. We get down to the real meat of the passage. No, this opening set of words, he's saying, here's your identity. You are called, and this is an identity that will last forever. You are called holy people. You are a saint. Prior to Christ, all that defined us, the only thing we had really in common was that we were all sinners. Now, you're still a sinner, but you're a sinner who's also a saint. You're a sinner who sins less, and you're a sinner who's now defined as a saint, who has some holiness to you, has some measure to pull back on the sin, hold it at bay, and allow Christ to flourish in your heart. Faith changes not only our destination, you have to think of it this way, it not only changes our destination, we're headed to heaven, now faith changes who we are as people. You are not what you were before. You're a different person. You're a saint. Number two, I am in Christ. Again, verse one. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. There are really two here. The faithful, we're actually called the faithful. We're full of faith and we're consistently faithful about our faith. And so is that, but we are in Christ. Now that just kind of goes by us as a little something. But faith is absolutely essential. Trusting God, who not only prepares a home for us in heaven, but keeps us by his word. And he says, you are in Christ. This is not just a happenstance greeting, like, oh, hello, how are you doing, brother? Good to see you. You know, and, and sometimes you, you'll greet someone out in public, you've done this before, and you can't remember their name. Anybody had that happen to you? Yes. Raise, everybody should raise their hand, because I don't remember anybody's name in case. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. My mother, when she would yell at us, she would yell, Michael, David, Carolyn, Jimmy. She just would yell through the names till she got the one she wanted. You know, just yeah, any mothers do that? It's a, me, mental illness, by the way, is genetic. You get it from your children. Think about that. You know. So I now do what my mother did. 
I call them by name until I get the name that I need. Sometimes you forget a name and you'll say, well, hello there, friend. <laughs> oh, buddy, oh, pal, Lord, help me. <laughs> I had a guy one night, I'm at the dinner table, and we have a rule, you know, hands above the table, which means no texting during dinner. But occasionally I'll see a hand go down, and I'm okay with that as long as they're not looking down. Well, then I, we're eating dinner, and I hear, okay, that's me. Hey. Okay, we'll stop that rule for a moment now. I pull out my, and it's a pastor friend of mine, and he's at dinner, and he can't remember the guy who walked by. He goes, help me. Uh, this is my chance to do this guy in bad, you know? I mean, do him dirty, just do whatever, and I gave him the name. He was begging for a name. I can't remember because you're in public. Everybody thinks you, because you, they know you, they expect you to know them. And I, I helped him. Next time I saw him, I said, you owe me lunch. My phone says that, you know. I owe you big time, dude. You, you are in Christ. You're called by name. And Christ, the fact that Christ knows you, this is huge. You're not just full of faith and faithful, but this is not just a passing greeting. This is, you are in Christ. And he takes you into his family. And Paul will use a modified, get this, he will use a modified version of this in Christ a dozen times just in Ephesians. Where he'll say you're either in him or in Christ or risen with him. You're connected to him. And this is the turning point in personal faith but the fact that he even knows you to call you by name. Number one, I'm a saint. Number two, I'm in Christ. Number three, I am blessed. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, there it is again, in Christ. You are blessed. So the day you came to Christ, you're immediately blessed which is uh, Hebrew, translated here Greek, our English word blessing is the word happiness, but it's happiness ongoing. It's like happiness squared or happiness cubed in numeral uh, language. So he's saying, you are multiplied over again happy. In Christ, this, this opening fountain of blessing happens, and the blessing is so great, it changes who we are. It just changes everything about us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, who has blessed us. He has overwhelmed us with blessing. When I was a kid, um, once a year, every summer, um, where we lived on our block, we had a fire hydrant about two doors down. You know where this is going, don't you? We had a fire hydrant two doors down from us. This is before all the rules, regulations, and the firemen would come down that street and they would, they would uh, rinse out that fire hydrant once a year and they would just open it up. And when we would see them come, they'd be smiling. There's no sirens going, nothing going. They're just cleaning out the lines. And they'd open that up and it would shoot into the street. And when we would see them come, we would all run home and get our bikes. Do you ever do this? And that fire hydrant would be running into the street. We'd all run as fast as we could with our bikes through the fire hydrant water and then get knocked over. <laughs> and then we'd get back up and you'd be soaking wet because it's fire hydrant. I mean, 
It's fire hydrant water. It's really gushing out into the street. And we get up, we say, I can get through it this time. And we would try it again, get knocked over. And then we'd try it again and get knocked over. And, and then finally they'd shut it down. There's probably some rule against that today because some kid rode through without his helmet on or something. I don't know. We didn't have helmets back then. And we drank the fire hydrant water too. <laughs> that may explain a little bit of where we are today. <clears throat> But you were just overwhelmed by it. Now, you tried drinking from a fire hydrant. I've tried. It's not easy. I, it, your lips land in the street or across the street. Just <laughs> think about it. Boosh! Down. It's just a lot to take in. Don't do what my buddy did. He went up to it face, you know, this way. Don't do that. It has a way of going right up your nose, through your eye. His, his eyelashes never did grow back. It was bad. From his perspective, it was good. I guess I'm telling you I have to say this. When heaven opens the line and you come to Christ, it's like drinking from the fire hydrant. I mean, it just comes at you. And the blessings just keep pouring over you. And it changes your identity. It just does. You are, number three, blessed. And if you don't realize it, you need to just say that. You need to put it on the dashboard of your car or the mirror where you get dressed in the morning or get yourself ready, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, in the heavenly realms, in the stuff that matters. Now, you may not be blessed the way other think, people think blessed, but I'm blessed in all, look at the end of verse three, in the heavenly realms, with all the spiritual blessing of Christ, I am blessed. So when it really matters for eternity, we're blessed. Number four. We're chosen. He chose us. There it is again, in him, that's in Christ. The fact that he chose us, that God would even know you, again, by name, that he chose you, I want him. I want her. Chose you by name. That's life-changing, if nothing else is. You do know that, right? And then that we were picked, that God wants us on his team, and then I know what's happening right now, we, there's this sense that we're uppity about this, and, and before we get too far uppity, you think, well, he really picked good because he saw how well I did. No, he chose us, look at the rest of the verse, before the creation of the earth, before the world was even spun into being. He chose us. Do you get this? So, he picks us, but not because of anything good that we've done, because we aren't here yet. I hope you get that. He chose us because of his wonderful grace. Again, it leads me to some wonderful thoughts about how incredibly gracious God is towards us. And he chose us to be holy and blameless. Get this? He didn't just choose us for heaven, but he chose us to get ready for heaven and to make a measurable difference here on earth. I am chosen. Number five, I am adopted. In love, verse five, he predestined us for adoption. He took us into his home, in his sonship. Some believe the error that, I'm, I'm sorry, some grandparents in the room are gonna object to this. You just think your grandchild is perfect. And I'll leave you with that erroneous thought that they are. But they are conceived in sin, they are born in sin, they grow up in sin, 
We are sinners. If you don't believe your grandchild's a sinner, wait until they're teething at the age of two. The sin will come out, you know, it'll eventually come out. Some believe that we are angels from heaven. It's just not true. We were born far from God in animosity with God, and God came searching for us. And he takes this intentional step to put us into his family, and get this, he he takes us into his family, gives us his name, gives us his inheritance, gives us his future, and gives us his authority. We're Christian. You get that? In Christ. So when he adopts you, it's for good and it's for keeps. But to think that he went and did this, not only did he create you, but he buys you again when he buys you out of the marketplace of sin. You are adopted. Number six, I am loved. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one, capitalized one, he loves. God demonstrates that love by giving to us Christ. That doesn't just change our destiny, it changes our identity. That you and I are loved, as Jeremiah put it, with an everlasting kind of love. Which all leads me to say you're valued. You're valued. In him we have redemption, verse 7, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God spent the bank on you and me. Get this. He redeems us. First of all, he makes us. Then he redeems us, which is the word for to buy out, to purchase out. But he doesn't just buy you and me out. He buys us all out of the marketplace of sin and buys out the sin, if you will. His blood sacrifice upon the cross was sufficient to pay for all the sins of all time in all places. That's an amazing sacrifice. That's an amazing kind of redemption. It is activated in your life the day you trust Christ. So while this, this sin covering is sufficient for everybody in the world, it's only effective in the lives of those who sign up, if you will, who believe, who turn to Christ. So he redeems us, verse 7, through his blood, and he offers to us this forgiveness of sins. And he does that, end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. And, and how, does that, how are the riches of his grace coming? He says they're lavished on us. He took the hard route. He offered his son as the blood sacrifice. So I tell you this, if you ever as a Christian have felt undervalued, Go to verse 7 and read it again and realize what Christ has done for you. And you'll feel not only redeemed and loved, you'll feel really, really valued. And that he lavishes his grace upon us. Now, here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to drain your identity, steal your identity, swap it out, make you compulsive about your identity, or somehow get you just a little bit off on the identity. And when he can do that, then he wins. Um, I, I, I tried to think of an illustration. There just isn't one that's sufficient for this. But I want you to think about, you. Uh, this isn't the best illustration, but if you're walking down a road, you have a backpack, you have a lot of things on you. It's all the stuff you have to carry in life. But if riding right, right next to you is a wagon, horse-drawn wagon, and if you could unload some of your weight, 
while you're going down that path, you'd be allowed to do that. So you have to have to just choose what you're going to unload. And if you want to carry the issue of all your stuff and all your friends and the weight of pleasing people and the weight of, of all this identity and it's all about you, then that's a heavy weight to be carrying. But what God does by giving to us Christ is give us a whole brand new identity which lightens that load, allows you to offload that onto the wagon, which makes the journey towards heaven a lot more pleasurable, a lot easier, gives you a lot more energy, but, but it changes the mood about the way you approach that trip towards heaven as well because you know someone's walking beside you, someone's with you, and it, it has to do with his identity issue. Now, what Satan would like to do, L-O-S-S, is, is he would like to tear up that identity piece. And if you miss this, you'll lose uh, the opportunity to have the God-given, um, the God-given identity. But that's not all. You'll opt to believe some lie Satan has made about you or to you or for you. And if you believe that lie, what will happen is it will shortchange the beauty of the relationship that you can have. And then what will happen, and I'm not a prophet, but this is just what happens. You'll struggle with self-esteem. You'll struggle with wearing out. You'll struggle with proving yourself to people or to God or to yourself. And then what really happens is, is it stifles the work of God. It just does something to shut down what God wants to do through you. That's why this identity piece is so big. And so I say this. Satan would love to steal your identity. He would love to create havoc in your life. And if you've ever had your wallet stolen, you know it's a real hassle. You have to prove who you are again. You have to go back to the license bureau get another driver's license. You have to go get another car. You have to stop your credit cards. Everything you do. And then all of a sudden, the next year, you know how this goes, if it's ever happened to you, Every time you go to cash a check or use a card, they want to know a picture ID and they want three forms of ID and your shoe size and your blood type. They just, they just go after you. Why? Because you're marked as someone who's been taken. And it, it impairs your ability to live freely for the next year or so. And if Satan can do that to your spiritual identity, he'll impair your ability to live freely for a whole year or two, as long as you allow him to. So what's my point to you? My point to you is this. All that Jesus says he is and all God our Father says he is to you, take that in faith. And then the voices come that say, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I have to prove myself, I have to earn my way, I have to please my friends, I have to, I have to, I have to. Let those lies go and believe God at his word and let him be your all in all. It was Casting Crowns who wrote, Who am I that the God of all the earth would care enough to know my name? You know this song? I am a flower quickly fading, biblical picture, here today and gone tomorrow. But it's not because of who I am or what I've done. It's because of him. That he would care enough to know me. Let that take root in your life and let your identity in Christ blossom and view that, if you can view your whole life that way, he will become 
You're all in all. We're going to bow now for prayer, and we're going to take the Lord's table in just a few moments. But I'm going to ask you, as your head's bowed and your eyes closed, number one, if you're not a believer in Christ, this is a perfect time to come to the Lord in faith and just open your heart to him. You may not know what that entails. I, I tell you, it doesn't entail much. It just says, God, I believe you to be who you say you are. I believe Christ to be my Savior, and I want him to be my Savior. If you'll make that kind of step in faith towards him, he promises to embrace you in personal faith because he wants all people to be saved. Secondly, though, to many of us in the room, this is the time where we say, okay, you know what? I've been carrying my identity, proving my way, always showing my resume, always proving that I'm capable for the task at hand because that's the world we live in. For me, it's the stuff. For someone else, it's the duties. For others, it's pleasing people. It's others or it's goals. For others of us, the defining piece of who we are is about some pain in our past. And God says, I have so much more for you than that kind of identity. That identity is so limiting. So would you ask the Lord during these quiet moments, may you be my all in all. May your word about who you are be sufficient for my life. And the places where you're off base, Lord, would you convict our hearts? Would we confess it quickly? And in confessing it quickly, may you refill that spot with the true identity of who you are. I'm going to give you time to pray, and I'm going to invite the servers to distribute the elements of the Lord's table. This table is open to all believers in Jesus Christ. We'll hold the elements and take them together in just a little bit. Give yourself an opportune time to talk to the Lord.